Welcome to Superheroes of Science. I'm Steven. And I'm Sarah. We co-host Science from the Experts. Our guests are professionals doing cutting-edge science right now. They're experts in their field discussing what they know best. So listen up and learn real science from real people. Subscribe now and stay informed of our latest episodes and show your support. Joining us today on Superheroes of Science, we're so excited to welcome Leisha Pika. Leisha is with Jacobs Engineering and serves as a global technology leader for wastewater technology. She is also a, a licensed professional civil engineer and graduated from Purdue University mm -hmm. in 1992. Mm -hmm. So welcome to the show. Thank you. You weren't supposed to say the year. You don't I tell when people that. graduate. That is just rude. I told her. I didn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah went, well, uh, what oh, did no. I do? Uh, we can redo it. <laughs> I don't even know. I wouldn't have told her the year. So that's okay. <laughs> welcome. And this whole wastewater technology, I this is, first of all, amazing. And second of all, what sorts of things does that does your job entail it's pretty exciting which is kind of remarkable because when people think of wastewater they either don't know what you're talking about or they think it's like dirty rainwater but it's actually sewage so sometimes people have septic tanks in their backyard so they, they just take it for granted and even if you live in an urban environment where you have a sewer you don't even think about where that stuff goes you're just glad it's gone so but now that's a commodity sewage is now a commodity we use it we use it to make energy and we use it to make fertilizer and we use it to do all, to replenish groundwater supplies. We're using wastewater in so many different ways all around the globe. It's really exciting today that um, we just never thought about it. Even 10 years ago, some of the things we're doing now, some of the more exciting projects I'm working on um, are kind of big, as you know, are you anybody alive today knows our infrastructure starting to get pretty old yeah. now most of our sewage wastewater infrastructure was built between 50 and 70 years ago it's reached the end of its useful life it's time to replace it so you don't need to replace it with the same technology because just like your phone the phone you had in 1970 1960 is a lot different than the phone you have in 2022 so sewage technology is a lot different too yeah. <laughs> i always like to show like a picture of one of those old phones that was in, in or a TV that was in, you know, what we, we watched in the 50s versus the kind of TVs we watch today. Mm -hmm. And then that's how technology's changed. So today we're doing all kinds of exciting things. For example, in New York City, they have five wastewater treatment plants. And you can imagine how huge they are with all the people that live there and yeah. travel there. And they are all old. They're all falling apart. They're spilling sewage all over the place. So EPA is requiring them to fix them. Well, should you fix them or should you build a brand new massive facility at Rikers Island? And this is one of the projects I'm working on right now. It's very exciting. We're doing a feasibility study to see if we can transform Rikers Island, which was a jail, into this massive energy generation complex. So it's going to treat the wastewater, convert it to energy, and then send that power back into the grid. So it's pretty darn exciting. It's, it's like not even net zero, it's net negative. Because no, we're feeding the power company. Now, I had no idea yeah, something like that would even be possible. I mean, I, I thought yeah. of with the whole wastewater thing. I mean, okay, poop rolls downhill. Right. But oh, no, they're selling it. They're yeah. selling it now. Even the water side. Now, the liquid side is what generates the electricity. Okay. We call it solids, biosolids. You know, when we take the wastewater, we compress the water out of it, and you get a solid material. 
-hmm. So you can either make, you can either burn that and make it into fertilizer. We are technology treatment technologies. We either make fertilizer like melargonite. Most of the time that's cow poop, but now, you know, people are also looking into different opportunities to use wastewater biosolids. And they're sanitized. They're, it's not like we're putting raw sewage on anything in there, you know. <laughs> so it's very we're a farming sanitary. community. We, you know. <laughs> I know. I'll stop there. Now the liquid side, especially in places like the east coast of the United States, in the Midwest, you guys get a lot of water that you have nowhere to put it. Yeah. Um, and you're a lot of those, a lot of those sewers are pretty old and they're getting leaky. And then in the west coast, they don't have enough water. So there's a drought. So we're finding ways that we can reuse the liquid side of wastewater. We can reuse it to make potable water. We're not 100% there yet, but Singapore is. Singapore takes their wastewater, puts it into a giant lake, and then pulls out from there to, create, to make potable water. We call that direct reuse. So we're not there yet. There's one place in Texas that does it right now, but we're getting there. Obviously, that's what they do in the space station. You know, you can't make water out of nothing. You guys are science nerds. You know, it takes <laughs> some molecules to do that. Yeah. So that's that's pretty exciting. And then in the so we're, we're looking at opportunities to recharge groundwater supplies. Most of most municipalities get their drinking water supply from a surface water body like a lake or a river or from the ground. We call that groundwater. You pump it from an aquifer. Well, as sea level rises, a lot of our groundwater is becoming more brackish, salt water. That's a lot more expensive to treat to make it potable than just regular fresh water. So we're finding ways to use our waste treated effluent. We call it reclaimed water. It's really treated wastewater. To offset that salt water intrusion, we pump it back into the ground and say, you know, like a barrier against salt water, just the density itself does that. And we're also finding ways to use that as a groundwater supply. So there's all kinds of exciting things happening in wastewater nowadays. Who would have guessed? I I would not have guessed this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I I know we we've, we've even interviewed people about bioenergy and stuff, but mm -hmm. they had not mentioned it coming from a wastewater side, mm -hmm. and I had no idea. Yeah. A lot of bioenergy comes from food waste too. You know, that has a lot of organics in it. You know, so they may be just dealing with that type of product, but the market is exponentially growing. It's particularly in this country. Australia and Europe are a lot already on biosolids fuels. So um, it produces a natural gas material is what it produces. Mm -hmm. So we're, have, we have some clients here at Jacobs that are working on getting a natural gas powered fleet for their entire city that's based upon the wastewater solids. So huh. That's pretty exciting. You have the treatment plant, the mile down the road, you have the gas station that's really powered by the natural gas made over at that treatment plant. So we're working with oil companies now too to co-mingle all that natural gas together. Yeah. So when you go in, you said right now you're consulting with um, New York City to kind of completely revamp how that's being done. Right. What are some of the things that you're looking at in the feasibility? Study? Yeah. Can you walk us through how that would lay out? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of factors because we're talking billions of dollars. So if you're going to invest billions of dollars into a neighborhood, the people want something from it. Yeah. They don't necessarily see their water and sewer infrastructure. So we're talking about redeveloping a city. We're talking about getting people jobs, training people for all these construction jobs that are coming up. So it's a lot more than just the technology. 
So what we do on the technology side is we look at all, all kinds of different options and we look at costs and benefits. So if it costs obviously a lot more to produce power from your wastewater than it does to go take your solids and spread them on a farm. But nowadays we look at the carbon footprint of those trucks that you're using to haul it and fewer and fewer places are receiving it. So, and you gotta have a higher quality, which means why not just send it back to the grid? So we'll be looking at things like that. What is the best cost benefit analysis? And how can we give back to the neighborhoods? These five treatment plants, if they go away, what can we do on those sites? Could we put in a school? Could we put in a community center? Could we put in some sort of educational job training center? All those things. And when you do a, a project of this magnitude that's gonna take you know, decades to finish, you wanna have the local people employed. So we do a lot, a lot of our work, which you wouldn't think about, you know, if you weren't really in the middle of it, we do a lot of work about making sure that people get those skill sets before we're ready to build it so that they can compete for those local contracting skills and stuff. So wastewater is not even just about wastewater anymore. It's about the whole community. So while we're dealing with the wastewater, most utilities are in corridors. So you'll have like spaghetti underground you won't even know about. You'll have a water line, you'll have a cable line, stormwater piping. We go in and find ways to fix all of those at the same time so that we're in those areas once. So we're not coming back to fix the water later. Oh, the storms, storm drains leaking. Oh, we got to fix that now. So you're inconveniencing all these people. So we look at opportunities for synergies. We work with roadway people. You're going to fix this road. So let's make sure we're getting all of our utilities under there fixed at the same time. We're looking at options. Um, how much can people afford? We all see our utility bills going up over time to look at everything else. Fortunately, they're usually less than the rate of inflation. Knock on wood somewhere, but you know, sometimes they're higher. But so we have to go with the people who are paying for that utility service. What can they afford? And there are some metrics that are published by the United States Environmental Protection Agency that really say 2% of your income max should be going towards your utility bill. So we have to cons consider that and we have to look at all the different incomes in an area. What is the overall amount you can afford? So when we do the studies, the feasibility studies, we look at community benefits. How can we get people jobs? How much money can this city afford to spend on this project? And then what's the best layout you know, for the facility? And then what's the best technology? So that you're not just looking at today, you're looking 10 years from now. You're not saying, oh, I wish I'd put this in instead. So we really look at the future too. We call it adaptive planning nowadays, where we're looking at what's it going to look like in 40 years versus what's it going to look like five years from now. So a lot of that goes into the climate change, whether it's the frequency or intensity of storms. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it goes into sea level rise. A place like New York City has to deal with sea level rise. So there's all kinds of factors that go into it. Growth, population. What are you doing with the water after you treat it? You know, where do you put it? You know, we don't want to just throw it away anymore. We used to just throw it away, hide it, get rid of it. Now we're like, who can use this water? Where can we sell it? You know, it's a commodity right now. So there's a whole bunch of factors. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I like that. I like, you know, thinking of it in that way that, yeah, people want to use this. They don't want to just throw this yeah. away and, and kind of getting rid of it. Yeah. We're still getting to that perception factor that, ooh, the yuck factor, we call it, you know, nobody wants to drink their water, yeah. but, you know, really it's gone through several filtration cycles, usually through the ground filtered and filtered through mechanics and all kinds of things. So yeah. another thing that are, we're finding more and more places that are really fun is that we're converting, and this is a happening, particularly in like the South down here in Florida, 
where we have a lot of swampland, we're converting wetlands into treatment, wastewater treatment facilities, where it looks like a park where you have these pools of water that are treating the wastewater. By the time it gets through this little serpentine, 100 acres, it's clean. But then there are boardwalks and all kinds of marshlands and education centers and public passive recreation where you, you know there's it's, it's so funny one of our clients they have to alter days between bicycles on the boardwalk and bird watchers because the bird watchers put up cameras and they don't want the bicycle people going down the boardwalk so i mean we're finding very in great innovative ways to integrate wastewater into our communities where people live and they don't even always even recognize it yeah when we were talking at one time what didn't so was it like beijing or something like that you'd mentioned was I was talking to you about Brisbane. Um, Brisbane. And okay. you know, and having more and more population on this planet is problematic for many reasons, as you know. But one of the ways is, you know, we have a lot more wastewater to deal with than yeah. maybe we were expecting before. So what how do you continue to deal with it? So when you know you have to replace some of these plants, what's the best thing to do? So for Br the Brisbane, Australia, they're gonna host the 2032 Olympics at the same time their treatment plant has reached its end of its useful life. So, and they're gonna have this slug of people coming in there for months that, you know, and all these cities who host the Olympics get a lot of funding so they can build the infrastructure needed to house the athletes, build the venues, do all those things. Yeah. We just never really think about it, but it, you can think it takes about 10 years to get a site ready for the Olympics. Okay. So what Brisbane is doing on the wastewater side, and I've had a chance to work with them on this too, is that they're figuring out, well, should we build a brand new plant? Should we build an auxiliary plant? Should we build, you know, 10 little tiny plants all around the city? So one of the concepts that we're thinking about and they're strongly considering is storing the wastewater underneath the ground in giant tanks. So like the hockey arena would be on top of a wastewater storage facility. So Japan did this um, with the Tokyo Olympics. All the wastewater facilities were built underneath the Olympic venues and people didn't even know. So it's pretty cool. I mean, we're talking millions of gallons a day, probably billions with, with all those athletes that are gonna be there. And you have the normal population and then the people who are coming to serve the food and you know, it, it exponentially grows. So and it's pretty fun, it's pretty fun. After that, is it, then it's still a useful facility for that mm -hmm. area. Yeah. Yep. And it'll accommodate probably 50 years of growth for that area. So you have to really size it so that you're not having a bunch of stranded capacity in an area that you really think you're going to use it and that you're going to need it and then plan for that future. You know, how you're going to handle flows in the future, where you'll put pipelines in the future to connect to these facilities and all that kind of stuff. So that's what we do. We kind of master plan it out. We figure out here's what you need now. Here's where you're at now with your current infrastructure. Here's what you need for a short term. How can we marry those up in the most cost efficient way? Yeah, I had no idea that it's how much beyond just the wastewater treatment. Because it sounds like such a simple thing. Okay, you're just treating wastewater. Yeah. But that sounds like it's a fraction of what you're actually doing when you design a wastewater treatment facility. It, the, the wastewater seems to be almost, I mean, it's almost secondary, although it's what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, example of that is historically, a lot of wastewater plants discharge the treated water into a river. Yeah. Okay. 
And so now those rivers are getting nutrient overloaded from the phosphorus and the nitrogen that's in wastewater. And that's just in our natural wastewater, just from our bodies and our surface land flows. We have a nutrient heavy water. So now we have to design systems that are getting rid of those nutrients at the same time. So sometimes we are re, re, um, we're consolidating that phosphorus and then selling it as a product. Or we're getting rid of that nitrogen in a, the form that impacts the fish in the water. So we have to think about all those kind of things nowadays too. We call it decarbonization of the um, wastewater stream as we're building a facility. Yeah, it used to be a big tank, let it settle, move on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. It's, it's pretty complicated. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. I mean, like, wait a minute, how could it be that big of a deal? But uh, exactly. Wow. But when you're thinking of billions of people, you know, it's a bit, it's a big scale in that you have to kind of um, think a little bit bigger. And and I love I I think it sounds really complicated too, because you're talking about planning then for the future. But like we said at the very beginning, you know, if we saw a, an old TV that maybe we used to watch and we yeah. had no idea that what our TVs would look like now. Mm. So how, what's that like then to try to plan for a future where maybe some of these new technologies might be unknown? What we do is we develop what's called a roadmap, an adaptable roadmap that has triggers. I did not come up with that word. I really don't like it, but it's really a point in time that you say, okay, I'm ready to take that next action. So we identify those. Now, whether that's a population-based, whether the demand that you need to serve, whether that's regulatory environments, we have a lot more stringent regulations today on both water, ground, air quality. Sometimes those trigger that next, level, next step for the future. Mm -hmm. So you wanna design something today that's gonna to meet the regulations in the future. So we just assume worst case, you know, we can discharge nothing. You, know, you don't want to build that today because it's very expensive, but you want to build whatever you are today that it fits in within that pattern. And if you had to go to like a 0.1 milligram per liter of nitrogen, you could, as opposed to maybe you're at 20 milligrams now. Yeah. So it's an order of magnitude difference. So we just, we make it so that you can expand it. And then we help you identify what information and data. It was a lot more data driven today before people just kind of just did it by the seat of their pants. You know, once we got about 70% of capacity, we did the next upgrade. Now we're finding opportunities to use data and AI, artificial intelligence to help us monitor these trends well in advance so that we have time to get the right approaches built into the system. And it's a lot more cost-effective that way. Okay. It's just a lot easier to add, you know, like a pump instead of build a brand new building that has a pump in it, you know? Right. I don't have a good analogy for that. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, on the very simplest form, you mentioned it's you basically you do a tank, all the wastewater goes in that, the liquid comes off the top, the rest that's right. settles. And that's a, that's the very simplest form. But now you guys are going well beyond that with both the solids and the liquids. Yeah. The like the phosphorus when you're pulling phosphorus out, is that coming out of the liquid side then? Okay, which yeah. made sense because mm -hmm. that was the problem. I, I remember when my daughter, MJ, did a, a science experiment. We actually did, we picked a stream that was accessible mm -hmm. uh, through the town we lived. And we did before town, the middle town, then after town. Mm -hmm. And there yeah. were days that the phosphates and the um, total dissolved solids were off the chart. 
And so yes. we're like, what in the world is going on? Well, th there's wastewater discharge less than a mile from where we were. Then, you know, a lot of our detergents that we use to wash our clothes and clean our dishes and stuff have a lot of phosphate products in them. So they're in our wastewater. Okay. So that's just unknown. Well, no, a little interesting tidbit for the future. Oh, I'm going to have to look this up. Um, it's called PFAS. I don't know if anyone's talked to you about those type of polyacryl floral compounds. The government's starting to look, it's really about plastics, how plastics have affected all of our lives. I'm not an expert on this, so don't make me go down there, but you might want to have, find yourself a superhero of PFAS. So it's in our water, it's in our food, it's in our everything. So at some point, wastewater biosolids won't be able to be land applied because this level of these different compounds mm -hmm. will be too concentrated, which means then you have to spend more money doing it in a lot more expensive ways of thermal hydrolysis, heating it up, superheating it, you know, essentially. But that's, that would be a good, I would listen to that podcast if you found a PFAS person. Okay. We'll put it on the list. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably too techy. It's like super geeky, but yeah. <laughs> those things will be so far over my head it oh. won't hit. Yeah. <laughs> I won't even feel the draft. <laughs> <laughs> but uh the um all right, so I, I know we'd interviewed some people before mm -hmm. about um different pollutants and stuff, and they were saying mm -hmm. even in the waters there's like Far, uh, farm, farm, uh, drugs. pharmaceuticals. Yeah, yes, pharmaceuticals, pharmaceuticals yeah. um, uh, are in the waters. Of, do you have to, especially in a concentrated population area, like I'm thinking like New York and mm -hmm. stuff, do you have to factor in that in how to remove or to decrease the parts per million of something like that as well? Not yet. We're waiting on the federal government. EPA has not published any water quality standards related to pharmaceuticals. We call those emerging contaminants. And there's a list that they publish 15 every five years that they're studying so that they're going to determine at the end of that five-year study period where they're going to make a regulation about it. Okay. So, so far, they haven't gotten really enough data to be able to make those regulations. But, you know, down here, that's one of the limiting factors of using that direct potable reuse I was telling you about, mm -hmm. where you treat the wastewater and then you automatically feed it to a water plant are the pharmaceuticals. So you can imagine in Florida how many, um, we have a significantly larger elderly population than most areas. Yeah. And most of those folks are taking some form of pharmaceuticals. So that's in the wastewater. So we haven't found, that'll be the next frontier. You know, now that we've conquered energy, we're gonna have to start conquering these micro constituents such as pharmaceuticals and emerging contaminants. Okay. Yeah. Now, when you're designing, you're doing a place, because uh, we mentioned that they're using the uh, biosolids as for biofuel, as the energy itself. Do you then, are you constructing a new um, energy plant each, each time you, when you design this, or are you supplying to a current or adapting a current? And what is the process of that generally? There's two different options. One, you can reuse the power on site. Wastewater treatment plants are very power intensive. Lots of pumps, lots of high tanks that have to be drained and all those kind of things. So most of the time, your first option is to reuse it on site and lower your own power bill. And it also lowers your dependence on an external energy source. You can imagine like with tornadoes and hurricanes and even really bad thunderstorms, you can lose power pretty quickly at a wastewater plant. So having your own energy source makes you a lot more resilient on your own. So that's the first approach most people use is they use it on site. 
The second approach is you feed it to the local grid. So um, very few people operate a, way, a, a, a power plant. I think Jacksonville does, Jacksonville, Florida does. They take it and use, they, have, they are the power utility, but most wastewater utilities are independent. So they're gonna work with whoever already does the, the energy and they're gonna commingle their natural gas into the existing natural gas pipelines that are owned by the energy company. Now there's a lot of, you can imagine all, you know, you thought politics was bad. You can imagine all the conversations that go on. You want to put my get your gas in my pipeline, but um, you know, those kind of things get worked out. The quality that you have to bring it to for them to accept it and mix it with theirs. I oh, see. Yeah. It's well, just about. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say something about you can't have crappy quality of gas, but. <laughs> like a but really bad pun. It's a bad, yeah. I was trying yeah, not to, but really I couldn't bad, help yeah. it. I'm sorry. Kind of. Yeah, sorry. I know you and your puns are. You're pretty good at those. I was pretty good. At <laughs> <laughs> Crappy quality. That's good. But, so how do they get the? How do they get the natural gas from the? Well, biosolids. Try not to say poop. Yeah. Well, what we do is that we do. It's a, it's a treatment process. We digest the solids in, the, in an aerobic digester or an anaerobic digester. And then we kind of superheat them through a dryer, dryer, through a thermophilic dryer. So it's like this thousand degree dryer that you know burns off all the nasty stuff and you're left with a product that you can use. And then that goes through a degasification system. And then that gas gets scrubbed again through different filters. So it's pretty complex. It has a lot of boilers involved, a lot of technology. So even if you're not interested in being an engineer, we're always looking for people who are mechanical based, you know, mechanics, they're going to have a lot more jobs for mechanics in the future as you're going to continue to service this type of equipment. We're always looking for treatment plant operators. Everyone has a shortage because everyone's retiring. So if you, if folks don't want to pursue, you know, an active technical degree, I would encourage you to go and get your operator's license for wastewater treatment plants or water treatment plants because that is a huge up and coming gap in our country and around the world we can't find people to run these treatment facilities they're getting a lot more automated with computers and advanced you know advanced mechanics so we need some folks who really understand this kind of stuff to be stepping up that next generation to operate these facilities now you mentioned around the world is is what you do pretty standard around the world? Does everyone kind of mostly do it the same way? Mostly, but people are different stages. So Australia and America and England are the farthest along as far as the high-end technologies, really reusing biosolids and back, returning it back to the grid. Places like India are um, kind of at the very beginning of the phase. You know, they are still, they don't have the same environmental regulations that we have. Uh -huh. So they aren't required to do the same level of treatment. But they're getting better. They're getting a little bit more stringent. So, um, you know, like for example, Saudi Arabia, they're building brand new cities from scratch. So they're doing it right from the beginning. Right now, we have several regions where we're building brand new wastewater infrastructure where it was just, you know, septic tanks or yeah. threw it in the canal in some places, as horrifying as that sounds nowadays to us. Some places are still doing that. That's, yeah. that's, so that's exactly what I wondered if it was. Yeah, Africa and you know, urbanized areas of Africa are very modern facilities, but in unurbanized areas, more rural areas, you know, they don't have treatment systems. Mm -hmm. They're not treating their sewage. They're just getting rid of it down the ground. 
So um, this it's becoming more standardized. It is one of the it is it addresses it's addressed in about seven of the UN sustainability actions. The United Nations published a bunch of sustainability actions has asked all the countries to kind of work towards these goals in wastewater treatment, clean clean drinking water, positive environmental conditions are all kind of supported through the different technologies we use for wastewater treatment. That's how you get funding, <laughs> is you're uh, going to be able to coordinate with a sustainability objective yeah. for some of these lower income uh, countries. So, yeah, it's a, you know, clean water. It's shocking to believe everybody doesn't even have clean water nowadays. Yeah, it is. It is. You would think it's by now we could help the world. Yeah. Enough. But I guess but we're still building wells in remote areas that, you know, we're Pollen baskets on their heads still in places in Africa, particularly. So I build one while a year. <laughs> Not personally, I fund it. <laughs> I'm too old to go build it anymore. <laughs> now you're not that old. Feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's no, where you got the, was it, the was it senior, a leader. Uh -huh. I'm, a, uh, I'm a global technology it. leader. Yeah. It, yeah. The, the, the leader part is that you help other people yeah. make it happen, right? Yeah. I help people throughout the country, uh, out throughout the world. My company has 50,000 employees. So when somebody wants information on where have we done this before and, you know, how can I explain what, where we've done before, I'm that central source of information. So I, I explain, you know, here's what we're doing in other places. Here's where clients were helping here's where other clients are just doing that we may not be involved but our co competitors are involved so my job is to keep on top of what everybody's doing in the planning world and to make sure everybody within jacobs and the industry understands what's going on mm -hmm. see it's the the world is so much smaller and it seems like it's smaller every day you know because i've heard every country just kind of did their own thing and then all of a sudden we we talk to someone and it's like oh no no we work the world yeah you know it, yeah. it's it, this is yeah. i don't know it just I, I i just still feel like it's it's it this is tomorrow it's like we're living in tomorrow <laughs> yeah. you're planning for tomorrow's tomorrow yeah that's right it's like, it's like yep. we're already living in tomorrow it's 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 crazy it is crazy you can't think about it too much or your head will hurt <laughs> <laughs> she told me a couple minutes ago before i started thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know, every time we do projects like this, you know, we learn a lot. So we're able to transition that to that next project and that next generation of projects. Every place isn't doing super complicated things. It's really dictated about what you need. You know, if you need to meet a stringent regulation, if you need to replace aging infrastructure, let's do it the way that makes the most sense today and tomorrow so that your overall cost is the low as it can be and you're providing the greatest benefits to the community. So that's really what, you know, big picture planning is all about. And do you, as someone, the whole, I'm still getting my head around the international part. And so it's, if you're working in the U.S., if you have a site going on the U.S., mm -hmm. you have to answer, well, a lot more than just the EPA, but I'm going to say the EPA, and I realize there's probably like a billion other agencies that all are telling you what you can and can't do still but when you uh, let's say you're working with someone with australia or africa mm -hmm. or somewhere are do they have uh, different governing agencies of which that you have to like our epa here and yes or is there more is there also 
then is you mentioned UN had things to do. Yeah. UN have global things saying, hey, y'all need to be doing it this way. UN doesn't have any power, but they do have the ability to kind of help bring everybody together. Okay. So they're just helping people to kind of standardize on approaches and big picture concepts like clean drinking water for everybody. So when we can align with them, is it's, it benefits everybody. So, but they don't have any like authority to say you shall build a treatment plant like this, or you must consider this when you do it. We just like aligning with them. Every country has its own regulatory bodies and every one of them has multiple ones, just like we do. You know, we're always dealing with the Corps of Engineers, EPA, FEMA. I mean, all these agencies have their own different requirements. So it's no different abroad. They all have their own requirements and we have to go by whatever those local requirements are. Okay. But we have people that live in all those local places that know them. So I don't have to memorize all of that stuff. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> yeah. That'd be something. <laughs> that would be tough. That would be tough. You need that AI. But it's just really exciting, you know, where wastewater's going. You know, if you look back where it was and where it's going, I think it's just really exciting that it's not a negative thing anymore. It's really is a commodity and it's a resource more than that. It's a resource that we're able to repurpose. You know, you we're not recreating water and we're not destroying it. We're just repurposing the quality of it and using it again. That is awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. That's just amazing. <laughs> that is so cool. And that, that is really a direction I did not think we'd go because I didn't yeah. I, I, I didn't realize it was a commodity. A commodity. Yeah, until I heard I, you say that, I thought, oh, that's I'm really like, what? What do you mean? They're selling wastewater? <laughs> Essentially, we're selling the power components, and then there are usually interlocal agreements on who can use how much of this. You know, everybody wants all of it. So you know, we have to all share and to dictate where it can go and where it won't go. That's pretty absolutely. cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I love the where you had said you're you're thinking about and planning when when you put in these designs, mm -hmm. not to uh, meet today's needs, but to meet tomorrow's needs. Right. Yeah. And where you're you're constantly looking at the future and you're making sure that infrastructure will last mm -hmm. uh, and sustain as long right. as you're able to. I love that in the, the newer technology that we talked about, yeah. the being able to incorporate that in there. That's just, and I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea there was that much planning into it. And I just, I love that everybody benefits from this planning. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And there's always new materials too. You know, pipe materials are changing. Mm -hmm. We're finding more resilient pipe materials, pipe materials that last longer, that have less of an environmental impact. You know, iron pipes can leach into the ground and create issues. So, I mean, it's all connected with, you know, the materials engineering group there at Purdue with the wastewater group. We all end up helping each other some way, form, shape, or form. That's awesome. Thank you for taking time meeting with us today. We really appreciate it. It was definitely enlightening. It was, yeah. <laughs> I had, did not expect it. Uh, did not expect it to be that interesting, to be honest. I mean, it, hey, we're talking about poop, you know? I know. I know. It's I know. But it goes away. I'm glad it but goes you're like, away. oh, no, it doesn't just no. go away. We control that from step away, from flush to yeah. Yeah. where it goes. And uh, when you're changing how that is, that is awesome. Absolutely yeah. awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Science from the Experts from Purdue University Superheroes of Science. If you like this episode, subscribe, give us a positive view, and share the love. Boiler up! Hammer down! <laughs>